this is not hello and welcome to this episode of fitness unfiltered which is long overdue welcome Very guys overdue. mike overdue, how are you isn't it? i am fine i am fine dan yeah I'm, i think i'm fine i'll go with the flow today i'm fine yeah thank you you sound a little bit husky but i like do it. i still yeah I've had this annoying coffee thing that stuck around a little bit. Because, you know, like, the first time we were supposed to record, I totally lost my voice. And then it came back croakier. And then a cough came in. And now I'm left with, I think this is just my voice now. Oh, I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like it. Anyway, we had a couple of things to discuss today. But I thought mm-hmm. one thing that has been flying around the internet recently is... Actually, both episodes of Diary of a CEO that were speaking about diet, right? So one was, is it Giles or Giles? <laughs> I think for the sake of the episode, it should be Giles. Right, Just so Giles. <laughs> Do you know what the as long as we don't is? use a facade or a meme, I think it will be Giles. <laughs> the worst part of that is, I've seen him talk live, I think three times, and I've read his book. I've seen him talk live only once, though. Yeah. And, and he retweeted me the other week. No, he didn't. Yeah. He's really cool. I like him. I'm a big I like fan. Him. I haven't listened yeah. to the podcast, but I do like him. I listened. I tried to listen to it before this in double speed, and I couldn't. You can't hear anything in double speed. Okay, I thought well, I was being an I, entrepreneur. I did listen to it. Um, and then what was the other? Who's the other guy again? Tim Spector. Tim Spector. So I listened to both of them. Um Giles's one was very good, I thought. And they just, this is where everyone went mad because I was sent it loads of times. What do you think of this? But people were sending me a reel of him saying, essentially, calories don't matter. But it was in the context of like, calories don't matter as much as what you are eating mm. on the whole. And actually what you're eating has an impact on calories. And then his whole point about, which is completely legitimate, that calorie tracking isn't that accurate. And there are inaccuracies in the way that you prepare food changes the caloric Mm -hmm. availability of that food. Absolutely. And all these important things that we should be talking about and that people should know about, but Mm -hmm. it's just that snippet that gets thrown Mm. around the internet and then people are like, this guy knows nothing. And do you know what actually grossed me out as well was the amount of like um, fat shaming or like body Mm. shaming. Yeah, I I wasn't aware of that until you mentioned it. Yeah, the links people will go to like, you know, we've had the discussion about whether someone's shape is representative of their knowledge base. And that was just a clear cut example of it. Someone judging him solely based on how he looks and how how much he must not know because of how he looks. Do you know, you know what I find really fascinating about the about the whole discussion is that it just, I think, is a, is a really clear example that we as human beings and as a public are very incapable of separating scientific information research and like evidence from a person who said something so as soon as somebody thinks that giles yo who is actually a world-renowned obesity researcher who knows more than like in his little finger than most of us are ever going to know about obesity right as soon as he has a 20 second reel that appears to contradict something that somebody who they follow on Instagram says who they think is right, they throw him away as though they just discard him as a person and just decide that he's, he doesn't know anything. 
because they like somebody else more than they like him or they don't know him previously. They haven't heard of him because he's not an influencer. And I Do find it so it's... fascinating that people can't step back from that and go, what did he actually say? Why did he say it? What does it mean? Could it be true? Do you think it's partly because it, it makes it more complicated? Like, do you know what? It actually isn't. As much as like fundamentally it is calories in versus calories out, so many things come into that. And it's not as simple as the labels on foods and just tracking on an app or something. And then I wonder as well, like whether I agree, like he knows more than probably most of the fitness industry combined about this stuff. But because there are doctors and quote unquote world renowned experts who do give out poor information, whether we're so used to critiquing that, because then you do see another doctor who's like calories don't matter at all and is really you know like tim Spector, don't agree with a lot of the things he says but again you could say well world-renowned researcher in his own right well i i think it's it comes down to the dichotomous thinking of social media and the idea that if somebody says that it's not just calories that then they mean they're basically saying that calories don't matter at all and if people say that a calorie deficit is important for fat loss then they're saying that calories are all that matters and I think that the problem that keeps happening, and I keep seeing this on social media, is that people are having arguments with one another about different things. Like if you're talking about nutrition, then like the actual kind of availability of nutrients and things like that is not dependent on calories. Um, giving somebody who is, let's say, for example, if the risk to their health is, not, is, is malnourishment, then calorie counting is not really what they need. If somebody's risk to their health is obesity, then calorie counting may assist what they need. But I think also people forget that calorie counting isn't being in a calorie deficit by by it like it's not inherently meaning that you're in a calorie deficit. Calorie counting is is like you said fraught with inaccuracies, and and the way that we interact with food is so complex. That, yeah, if you put somebody in a ward and put them in a calorie deficit, of course they will lose weight. But in the real world, will calorie tracking help them to be in a sustained calorie deficit? Not on its own, because if you don't change the quality of the food that they're eating or the types of food that they're eating, then they're unlikely to be able to maintain a calorie deficit. Do you think the broader issue is this reductionist attitude we almost have to nutrition and we, f we forget how vast it is and actually it's just been reduced to a soundbite about a calorie deficit and by association most people associate health with fat loss when actually there's so many other facets of health and nutrition. 100%. Back to your point Mike about tracking calories and that it doesn't like it's not always the the be all and end all and that actually we need to think about the foods that we're eating there's a really interesting study that shows that independently of the energy density of a meal people will eat mm -hmm. the same weight of food so if for example like as an example like 250 grams of chocolate is like 1300 calories right but 250 grams of carrot is like 109 calories or something I looked this mm -hmm. up the other day, so I do actually know that those are like relatively correct. Um, but people will eat the same weight of food. So if you change the types of food that you're eating, i.e. add in higher volume foods, you'll habitually eat less overall calories. And thus it's not so much about 
like when people say, oh, don't eat less, eat right. They are kind of like onto something a little bit that I think we've gone so far one way of not demonizing foods that we're like, yeah, eat whatever you want, just create a deficit. And that's a massive problem and is so unsustainable, not just from a health perspective, but from an actual being able to maintain a deficit perspective. And such a, like, it's a much easier way to diet and to lose fat if you like apply that knowledge of, if you're driven to eat a certain weight of food, then look at your food choices so that you're having something that's higher volume. I think that stuff is like massively underrated. People are like, yeah, I try and get my five fruit and veg a day for the nutrients and stuff. But it's, like, it's not even about like the vitamins and minerals as much as actually the ability to stick to your diet 100%. or your energy needs. 100%. And I like, you know, coming from the fat loss background that I have come from, I'm so on board with that because the thing is like if you i think it is so important not to be fearful of food and to include bits of food that you enjoy like not all of the food is just about satiety some of it is about pleasure and is about enjoyment and actually i do think that if you if you over restrict the foods you're unlikely to to necessarily sustain that diet right but also if you under restrict those sorts of food you're unlikely to sustain the calorie deficit i mean there's so much research isn't there that, that the ultra processed food not only is less satiating but also does promote it is more moorish isn't it we do oh yeah because of the, it's highly palatable and high calorie we're more likely to end up in an accidental calorie surplus from eating that food um and we are more likely to also feel differently at other points of the day so and, and i i would use personal experience of this very easily to describe how I feel when I smash a load of biscuits at work, which I very frequently do. I feel awful. I feel sluggish. I feel tired. And I'm less likely to get my steps in later in the day or do anything because all I want to do is crash and chill out when I get home because I've spent all day eating biscuits. And even if I have actually consumed the same amount of calories in biscuits as I would have done in other types of food, I will feel differently. It has a different impact on, on you know, your general well-being, even your like diet psychology, because you feel like, you know, you don't feel like you've spent your day promoting health. So you might then be less likely to spend your evening promoting health by doing other forms of activity or by going to the gym. Or if you do go to the gym, your workout's going to be pretty ineffective because you're feeling a little bit nauseated and a bit palpitating or whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, then you don't necessarily sleep as well because you've, you've had a load of sugar before bed and it just, it, these things play into each other so much. And even without even considering cause and effect, like even if it's the other way around, even if the, it's, it's not that it's not necessarily that the, that those foods are causing, um, a sort of it, those foods are causing you to not be in a calorie deficit. So even if you say that the mechanism of, of the diet failure is by not being in a calorie deficit, so you say, well, it's still just a calorie deficit. Yeah. But if your food choices contribute to you not being in a calorie deficit, then food choices are really important, aren't they? Yes, that is exactly it. And, and I think even with the ultra processed foods, like it changes your taste. Mm -hmm. So this is why people are like, oh, I don't really like fruit and veg. Yeah, because all you eat is really highly palatable foods. So fruit and veg tastes like nothing to you, yeah. right? And, yeah. and then you need to eat more of them or like more of the highly palatable food to get the same pleasure response. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts to 
become harder like if you look back and think okay when we ate a relatively bland diet that was mostly like i don't know potato like even if you think of an example right if you're really hungry plain porridge tastes incredible Mm -hmm. but you will stop when you're full right no toppings or anything allowed okay versus how much would you overeat on donuts especially with variety on top right so like you've got a variety box of donuts you will eat way past satiety Mm -hmm. In fact, you, and the point is like, you'll probably be less satiated because there's, even if you look back at what we were talking about before, like the weight versus calories, like you can eat a hell of a lot of calories for a small amount of weight. So then there's a satiety problem as well. And yeah, I think it, food choice plays such a massive role in things. Mm-hmm. And it is a more nuanced message because you've got on the one side being like, don't demonize foods and include them. But then you've got on the other side, like realistically, it'd be very hard to create a deficit or at least, not even a deficit but like eat in line with your energy demands if you're eating highly processed foods like it's almost impossible and i think this is where i really struggle with the message of like listen to hunger because mm. i think it's such a poor measure we're set of- up for failure aren't we just based on the environment that we're in yeah i think like we're, we're in this perpetual loop of almost overcorrection. in that you know everyone we went through that phase of fatty diets if you like everyone grew a little bit wiser to that than it was in air quotations clean eating well we soon realized that actually the caloric content of your food as well as it being healthy is quite important so almost this overcorrection where if it fits your macros and people are crowbarring in a tub of ice cream every night to lose weight so now we're back to let's focus on whole foods because just from the satiation um micronutrient etc standpoint to people saying no actually it's only counting calories that count but there's always like a counter argument and it is just a series of again what we spoke about before promoting almost villainizing one group of people to position another group as heroes in this false dichotomy that is internet arguing when actually most people are just singing from the same hymn sheet do you think they are though I don't like. I don't think Tim Spector is singing from the same the same hymn sheet as like the general fitness industry flexible diet. Oh, maybe not Tim Spector. I, I, I was probably thinking more Giles. In honesty, oh Giles, yeah, he probably. Well, yeah, yeah no, I would say he probably is. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, have some of this. Have like you know, have some flexibility. But I think it's the awareness of the impact that will have, and then you're mm. making a conscious choice. Yes, I am choosing to have a pizza tonight, knowing that it's probably not going to be in line with my physical goals, but hey, it might be in line with my psychological goals at the moment. And then there's that distinction, and Chloe makes this amazingly, between like physiological needs and then psychological needs. Mm -hmm. And you have Mm -hmm. to have the balance of the two. And to be honest, I rarely eat that much highly processed food or like maybe like highly palatable foods. I do eat a lot of processed foods, which I don't think are necessarily bad but I don't have guilt around them, but I just mm. rarely choose to eat them because I know the impact that they have on me. I yeah. think that you, um, I think there is a lot of, there are a lot of people who are on the same page who are still managing to argue with one another. I do, I, I do agree with that. But I think that the problem is this incapability of, of, of finding the middle ground that a lot of people seem to have that, that exactly like what Emma is saying is that we want to not demonize things, but we also not want to not promote them. And I think that, the key is us as individual humans being honest with ourselves about what we're actually doing. And that 
you know, again, speaking from somebody with very extensive diet experience is very difficult to do. I mean, like, like I've spoken about this so many times about when I cut out broccoli from my diet plan and replaced it with Solero's because it was calor calorically equal. And I was pretty proud of myself for doing that because I was like, wow, I've managed to manipulate this to be a really enjoyable diet. But you cannot tell me that, that, that my diet was as healthful with the Solero's as it would have been with the broccoli. Well, how much protein's in the Solero? Isn't well, it I don't think like very much. I think the reason Solero's are so low calorie is because they contain such little food. I think it's mostly <laughs> like like plastic ice cream and a bit of fruit puree, which is, you know, it, yeah. it's not high in calorie. If you think of the volume of ice cream that's in the Solero, it's actually quite small. Uh, is, it actually, is it ice cream? I haven't heard of Solero. Is, is it ice cream or is it just all sorbet? I'm, I'm no, it's ice cream, cream and, the, oh, and the, cream. it's a fruit puree coating basically oh. and it's got the fruit, fruit puree like swelled through the middle as well so if you were actually to melt it it i think it's only like 80 or 90 mils or something like that I, it will say on the box i'm sure but um you know it's not that it's an inherently low calorie food but it's like whipped and aerated and got and, and covered in fruit so you know it's it, it's kind of your tricky. You know what? It probably is quite satiating. And yeah. I say that because there's a huge element of mindfulness. Like you can't mindlessly eat a Solero. No, right? It's, it's cold. cold. You can yeah. tell that you're eating it. You have to, you know, like there's, there's quite a lot of like process yeah. to it. And it takes a while, right? Yeah. No one's like, I hope, biting in, like gnawing away at like a Solero. Like, ah! I put anyway. just thinking about it. <laughs> Exactly, right? So the point is, you'd be way slower to eat it. And that has a real satiating effect. And there's really interesting research around this around getting people to even just recall what they had for lunch mm. before consuming cookies, and people consume 45% less cookies, if you've asked them to just say, this is what I had for lunch beforehand, right? No, no, then like, so eat less cookies or like do you think that was quite a lot of calories you've had for lunch it was just hey what did you have for lunch cool do you want some cookies versus hey do you want some cookies so See, this is so interesting to me because when i was tracking calories and i do still track calories a bit but when i was properly tracking calories and on my sort of weight loss thing i consumed exactly that many calories every day there was no like there was no oh, i'm full up now so i'm not going to have any more and there was no oh, i'm still hungry so i'm going to eat more I consumed that many calories per day. So to me, satiety was kind like I wanted to choose foods that were a bit more satiating so that it was less unpleasant, but it didn't matter whether the Solero was satiating or not really, because I still would have eaten another one if I had another hundred calories left. Does that, does that make sense? And I, I think that that's, again, this is such but an this important This is interesting too, because so much of that is mindset as well. Exactly. Like, People exactly. think that, like another example of this, there's a study that shows that if you, so they told half of the group of people that they had consumed a four egg omelet and the other half that they had consumed a two egg omelet. Mm -hmm. Now, in reality, everyone consumed the same omelet that was three eggs. But the people who thought that they had consumed more were less hungry and ate less for the rest of the day, mm. right? Much like, and I see this so, with calorie tracking, people are like, oh my God, I'm only on 1200 calories. Realistically, they're, they're actually closer to 1600 because they're pretty inaccurate with their tracking. But the thought that they're on such low calories impacts their reality and impacts how hungry they are or how hungry they think they should be. And that impacts how hard it is to stick to their diet, irrespective of the calorie number. Like the calorie number really doesn't matter that much. Is so much how you're thinking about it. So if I put 
Mike on 1800 calories and is used to being on over 2000, you're going to feel hungry, even if realistically the meal plan that I gave you was over 2000. Yeah. It's yeah, a restrictive right. mindset people associate with it. And that goes back to what we've discussed many times, whether people think it's an imprisoning thing or an empowering thing. And unfortunately, dieting and diets have negative connotations in which people enter them with already quite a negative mindset that they're going to be restricted, that they're going to be hungry, that possibly some of it's going to be miserable rather than see it from a place of improvement because they've been exposed to the worst of the worst for so many years. Yeah. What did you think of um, the Huel ads throughout? Oh, you haven't listened to the podcast, have you? I've listened to the first bit. No, but you, did you listen to Tim Spector's one? Mm-mm. No. Oh, this but I've, heard, the... I've been. To, I've been. I feel like I've, I've been to. A, I've been to talks by him. No, no, like no. I'm, this, I'm this familiar is, with you have to listen to the podcast because this was the best part of the whole thing. He does his whole thing about like how you know all processed food is bad. You shouldn't add vitamins to anything. Blah blah blah. Like all this stuff is stupid. That like you know iron. You can pull out the iron with a magnet, and but you can't absorb it. All this kind of stuff, right? Sounds like Literally medicine. Seconds later, there's an ad for Huel. So, like, he's just said, don't eat anything processed, don't add vitamins, don't have supplements, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> then you hear Stephen Bartlett, so one of my favourite things quick to one. do. Um, yeah, oh, quick one, yeah. I own half of this company and I'm getting paid a fortune today. Oh. But one of my favourite drinks is Huel, the chocolate flavour. I don't think we've ever been treated to impressions by Emma before. <laughs> That's one of your best, then. <laughs> Thanks, I'm really good at them. Uh, I don't think you sound <laughs> anything like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> also, everyone who I do an impression of has exactly the same voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah that's my favourite part. I think, I think the thing is, from, like... If we look objectively at, at, at kind of a, at Tim Spector as a, as a scientist, my understanding is that he's a he's a geneticist or he, his his expert is in genetics, and I think because he was involved in research on the gut microbiome, it's then now suddenly extended to him kind of suddenly being a, a nutrition expert. But I I don't I know I may be wrong about this, but I'm not actually sure that he has has a, a, a strong background in nutritional science, and I I kind of think that 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 you know, from my perspective, certainly kind of from hearing him speak, I have wondered about some of the, you know, some of the studies that he's quoted and the, the availability of studies that I think refute a lot of the the evidence that he gives. Um, I think that I've had some concerns about about some of the quality of that information. And and I think I think it is it's all it is such a difficult terrain to navigate because we have so many people. I mean, like the stuff, the work that he's done with you know, with genetics and with Zoe and stuff like that is, is pretty phenomenal. I think he's, I think he's achieved quite a lot in, you know, in the medical field. And so it's so easy for people do you, to do just Do you know much about Zoe? Cause from my understanding of it, it sounds quite similar to almost blood typing. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's, Zoe... really quite, it's more done on glucose response to food than blood type. That's not, that's not what I meant. 
I mean, then I was talking about something different. I think like his COVID work with the no, Zoe no, no, app yeah, like you... some of his like yeah. big data. Science I didn't mean the diet is... stuff. Yeah, oh, it's sorry. really interesting, but like from the diet perspective, definitely not. And then I also mm. think, yeah, and most nutritional scientists will accept this that they're not practitioners, right? So it's like we can say this is what the science says, but then it's like how does that translate to real world situations and real world behavior, and kind of back to like okay, it might be a calorie deficit, but how does eating this food impact your behavior in this way? Mm. Which is interesting because a lot of like the Zoe work is based around your blood glucose response. And then for some reason, this huge leap to, oh, if your insulin responds in that way, then your hunger will increase. And when your blood sugar drops, then, you know, you'll crave more. And there doesn't really seem to be any evidence to prove any of those points. So that, like, I find that, quite interesting maybe not interesting but like I mean, it's, it's a bit like you know you know that that concept and I, I believe that this isn't true but I remember when I was first when I was first in into dieting I remember somebody like I, I remember getting trolled actually on Instagram for drinking sparkling water at the pub because everyone's like why are you drinking sparkling water if you hate it and I was like oh because if you drink diet coke and you have artificial sweeteners it spikes an insulin response and then that means that you your body behaves as though it's been exposed to sugar so you put on weight even if you drink diet coke and they were like so why don't you die then and did, I, did I, anyone well, ask you are you a doctor mike yeah i know right <laughs> because this is that you know i've talked about this before like we do just get some you know when people say something that sounds on the surface really sensible i know actually there's a lot of evidence that says that that by drinking diet drinks is just as bad as drinking sugary drinks because your body still recognizes the taste of sweetness so it still sparks an insulin response and you go huh okay well, do you know what that's true right but then what people and i think this is where all of these myths come from that is true but people never ask like what's the magnitude of effect here because there mm. is there's a i can't say this word cisphalic phase insulin response right any sweet taste mm -hmm. there is a very small insulin response will that make any physiological difference whatsoever no or as you say you'd fall into a coma right if your insulin suddenly yeah. shoots up and there's no blood glucose to clear you're going to be a big trouble but there is this very small response mm. that's normal right to any sweet taste yeah. and then this like i had this discussion with someone the other day because someone had asked me on my story like do you need to have breakfast to kickstart your metabolism and i was just like no you don't and they were like well i've always been told you do like do you have any evidence to prove that you don't and i was like oh it's quite hard to actually yeah. Like more to the point, do you have any evidence to prove that you do? And what do you even mean by kickstart metabolism? And it's like, you can't answer those questions. Thus, like the burden lies on, on that side. But then it is, sometimes it's hard to refute because you're like, well, actually, like, but, how do I prove that you don't need breakfast? No, I guess exactly. all the people it's, that it's, don't eat breakfast and are fine. Yeah. It's also the association that an insulin response is negative, but the ingestion of anything get an insulinogenic response. Yeah. Like carbs, protein, fats, but yet people focus on solely carbs and an insulin response being a negative when actually you would hope for that unless you're a type one diabetic. Yeah. I mean I I think that that one thing that I think I I just want to bring this up because I think this is this is one of my favourite like non scientific scientific facts. That sometimes using weird non scientific things that aren't really true 
can actually help you. Um, and we get so caught up on the science of why something might work or might not work. And then we're like, no, 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 don't do that. But actually sometimes, I, I mean, I'm just going to explain the example because I think that's the, the only way to actually explain what I'm trying to say. But when I first started trying to lose weight, somebody told me that your metabolism is like a fire. If you don't put enough wood on it, it will burn out. And if you put too much wood on it, it will burn out. So if you eat too much, your metabolism will slow down. But if you don't eat enough, your metabolism will slow down. So when they set me this suggested calorie target, they said, it's also very important that you, that you keep, it's very important that you keep to the calorie target, but don't go under it and don't go over it. Stick to the actual number of calories. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. And they explained it with this, with this metabolism analogy. And really interestingly, what it uncovered was that prior to this, anytime I'd ever wanted to go on a diet, I had essentially just eaten as little as humanly possible. I was essentially just trying to starve myself because that's how I thought you dieted. Whereas this time around, by sticking to that calorie target rather than going severely under it because I thought I could manage it, it became much more sustainable. I ended every day feeling completely satiated, not feeling like I was on a diet, feeling like I was actually eating a large amount of food and it made my diet much more sustainable. So ultimately eating more calories helped me lose weight. But if you then take that headline and go, I lost weight by eating more calories, of course it's physiologically not true, but it goes yeah, back to the idea that the actually problem. by being in a more severe calorie deficit, you're more likely to end up not being in a calorie deficit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you see the problem in that? Cause that's, you know, that's also the promotion of like, um, I don't know, your metabolism is broken. You need to reset your metabolism, yeah, 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 yeah. reverse diet, all this stuff, right? Oh, and yeah. I get I'm not suggesting we promote saying. it. I'm just saying sometimes we get too caught up in it. Well, I think it's important yes, to, like, dis to dispute that and be like, well, that isn't true, right? Because otherwise you, you do get caught down these kind of paths where what would be better is to explain human behavior. Okay, well, human behavior is if you massively under restrict or if you eat as little as possible, you're going to swing back the other way and end up eating more. That gives you way more control. Like, I think the education and the empowering side is like, now I understand this and I understand not only the physiology, but like the human behavior side. That to me is mm. crucial to coaching. I, Otherwise, yeah, you get I, people I get it, like, I've broken people. my metabolism, blah, blah, blah. Do you know blah, what? Blah. I, get what you, I, I get what you mean, Mike, in that, like, by accident, people fall into better yeah. habits. It's like when people invested in, like, again, clean eating, it's not that calories didn't matter. It's because those that were having loads and loads of hyper-processed foods all of a sudden reverted to eating whole foods and found they were Yeah, yeah that's the problem, right? Because then but you it's have by, more Yeah, it's totally by accident. Right? No, 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 but I'm but saying you... that, like, that belief, like, you're kind of saying that belief helped those behaviours. And I say, yes, in the short term. But you can see how that becomes a problem, right? So same with like, if I'm like to a client, don't eat past 6 p.m. Likelihood is that's when they tend to overeat and they'll get great results. But they also then develop a fear of eating past 6 p.m., mm. right? Yeah. That's the problem. Same with clean eating. Like for most people that massively improves their diet. But then you get to the point where now I'm scared of chocolate. Like that becomes a problem, you, right? Same with the metabolism thing. Then if you don't eat for a couple of hours, you're like, oh my God, my metabolism's like the fire's gone out, right? You create these fears around food. And I guess the reason I'm so like pedantic about that is because I see the other side of it. Like I have people come mm -hmm. to me all the time. Like I can't eat carbs though, because X, Y, Z, or I can't eat after 6 PM, or I won't have breakfast because of this. And I see all the mm -hmm. negative sides of that. 
because people take it very literally and then it mm, can really yeah. negatively affect your whole life. So I can see why it like on the surface level, yeah, okay, this little explanation kind of helps, but I sort of get it. I, I, sort it. Of, I, yeah, I, 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 I completely get what you're saying, but I also think that for a lot of people, if you try and go into depth and explain the nuances of human behavior and why this is a good idea versus why that is a good idea. I don't think that's I the think nuances also... of human behavior though. What explaining to people that if they over restrict, then they'll probably overindulge and then talk them through previous experiences where that's happened again and again and again for them. That's literally the you know substance what? I of think, my whole coaching. I think that it, again, work. playing devil's advocate with that, I wouldn't be surprised if that resulted in somebody going, mm, no, I reckon I can do it. And whereas if you actually... Yeah, if, yeah, if and then they try it more... and it doesn't work again, right? Like that's yo-yo dieting to a T. Mm. When you fully explain it and you say, hey, Mike, every time you've tried though, do you try and drop your calories too low? What about trying it this way? Because it's way more maintainable. And on yeah. average, you'll be eating less calories, which means on average, you'll create a bigger deficit and you will lose more weight. Mm. And then it's more about <laughs> the trainer getting the buy-in and the trust of that to actually try yeah, I, I, I don't think, think there's any disagreement on like what is the better approach in that. I think it's more that like understanding why people double down and they they protect their chosen approach yeah. because it has gotten results for kind of the wrong reasons. Yeah, because it's it's not that that it's in promotion of those reasons, but their understanding of the process and why it works makes sense to them on the basis of like the element of truth that's there. But yeah, of course, education and actually empowering them yeah. to think, think about the, it differently is the right approach. The point I'm trying to make is that I think that sometimes we, like you were saying before, that practitioners versus scientists, that sometimes we argue the science or not too much because I, I do get what you're saying. I think there is there is a potential disadvantage and a potential problematic part of that. And I'm certainly not suggesting that we promote bad science or discussion about it. But I also sometimes think if something's working for somebody, we still dispute it because we want to prove that the science is incorrect. And actually, I think that I, I sort of do feel a bit like if somebody had said to me at the time, oh, you can just lose weight by being in a calorie deficit. And the more of a calorie deficit that you're in, the more weight that you'll lose, which I think is what the conclusion would be from somebody that doesn't necessarily completely understand human behavior. And I think there are a lot of people, there are a lot of coaches, nutritionists, dietitians, many people that don't really understand human behavior. So I think that they could be then saying stuff like that. And then the person, the client is more likely to go, oh, well, then I'll just be in a harsher deficit. Surely that makes sense. I don't know. I think you underestimate, I think you either underestimate clients or you underestimate how well people can explain things. And I don't think that's the nuances of human behavior. Like, I think it's like, it's almost common sense. And when you give the right examples and when you explain to people properly and Hey, look on out, like, like even like the analogy I always use with my clients is if you're running a marathon, you don't sprint at the start because you'll never finish. Right. So you want to mm -hmm. pace it at the right pace. Same with your calorie target. Like you mm. want the average best time. You want to run at a pace that means you're going to be able to maintain that for the full marathon. Same with your fat loss. You want a calorie target that you can actually maintain because you will get a quicker marathon time or you will get better fat loss doing that. That's understandable. Mm. I don't think there's, I mean, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most people probably understand that. I think they do. But I think if you come from a background of, of, um, of having again tried multiple times to lose weight and having failed 
I think you have a very strong perception that your time on a diet is quite limited. I think that you don't necessarily believe that you will be able to stick to these changes long term. I know that that's definitely the perception that I had when I started dieting. I didn't think that I would stick to it as long as I did. And actually, the um, I think the truth of the matter was that I didn't really understand perhaps how restricted how restrictive I had been in the past because I hadn't particularly focused on like a calorie target. I had focused on eating as little as possible. So I didn't really at that time know what, you know, 1900 or 2000 calories really looked like because I'd never done a sustained kind of period of, of calorie tracking. Yeah, so, but, think, so if someone had sat you down and showed you that and talked you through pacing and actually getting a better result. And by the way, this is my whole client base. Like, everyone who comes to me has yo-yo dieted. So it's more know, about like, Emma, back, like, what can with, you learn With all due here? respect, with, with all due respect to all other coaches in the world, not everybody gets Emma Story Gordon as their coach. Like I, I, <laughs> I know, there I is know. a certain, there's a certain element of this that you are very good at explaining things. And I, I consider you to be a very excellent coach and you are probably better at doing this stuff than quite a lot of people. Um, no offense to any listeners who may be professional coaches, but I think that it, that it, if we're talking about kind of a mass approach, I think that, I think that maybe like, I don't know. I mean, I, I've having tried to explain concepts to many people in my life as a doctor, I think that there's less hunger for, for understanding and more hunger for results. I think that sometimes when I try and explain to people how medications work or whatever, they are much more interested in whether they're going to work and whether they're safe than, than how, you know, how things are actually working. And I think if, if, um, I think if you then add that along to this kind of this backing psychology, which can be quite fixed in people, this sort of this, you know, expectant failure, I think it is, I think it, I, I, again, I don't really, I don't really know the point I'm making because I'm certainly not arguing that we I should feel be like using we that. Are, we're, we're talking about the same point, right? But in my opinion, the say marathon analogy isn't any harder to understand than you need to keep putting wood on a fire to keep it burning, mm -hmm. right? But one of them has more truth in it than the other, right? Yeah. That That's my yeah. point is that like, you can explain things well and simply. And I think that's the job of a coach to do and to pitch it at the right point. Cause you're right. Like a lot of people are like, I don't care about the ins and outs of this. I don't need to know about muscle protein synthesis. Just tell me to, you know, tell me what to do and give me like, convince me why I should do it your way so that I buy into it. And then you're much more likely to stick something that you buy into yeah. for sure. I think we definitely agree on that. I think my issue, and to be honest, it's less about the, keeping the metabolic fire burning but more about things like don't eat after 6 p.m because it'll be stored as fat or like never eat carbs or you know things that can mm. actually really negatively impact your relationship with food that's where my kind of like concern lies <laughs> anyway Oh, I think um, we lost you, Em, there. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But I don't think we have. We're using new software today, and it appears not to be going quite as well as I was hoping. I know. Do you know what? I think each person's individual recording is better, but there does seem there is like a bit of a lag sometimes. Mm. 
We've interrupted one another a fair bit on this because I think there is a bit of a... You can always tell if there's a lag because it means that you accidentally interrupt people because you don't realise they're still speaking. Correct. That's a, a skill we've honed over the years, though. What? Interrupting each other? Well, hopefully <laughs> not as much. But bearing in mind how chaotic multiple people on a podcast can be I know. at times. I don't think we do too bad majority no. of the times. We're much less chaotic than we could be. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, yes. was there anything else that we wanted to touch on in this episode? Hmm. No. I, by, by the way, I don't actually think you two are disagreeing at all. No, no I don't think point. we are. I think we were... I think just Emma's just argumentative. I think I think she's just <gasps> arguing with you. <laughs> no, I, me? and I think you no, just. I think, me. and then I think Mike was just playing devil's advocate just to play devil's I'm advocate. I'm always, you know, as me, bloody I'm, blokes do. I'm always about the um, And yeah, Mike, you were just proposing a point, which I get about human psychology, and like Emma was like, no, but this is the right way, and I'm like, yeah, that is the right way. I agree with both of you. So I don't actually know what you were disagreeing about at the end there. Oh, no, I don't think I we're don't disagreeing think. at the end. I think no. I was, like, just proving a point because I wanted to. And I think that's an <laughs> just important... Just proving I'm right. Um... Uh, it's not even about... It's not about being right. Like, I think that's just, like, that's my approach. And I think it's very easy to say, well, that's harder and people won't understand. But it's like, well, then you're not explaining it well enough, right? You don't have to mm. use analogies that aren't actually correct or examples that aren't actually correct. And then I think what is interesting mm -hmm. is that these myths kind of stick around because there is an element of truth to them or because when you mm. do implement them, they do work, right? And then you have to give people freedom by explaining why. Because the truth is, if you stop eating at 6 p.m., it will work. You will lose body fat, but it's not because food is more fattening after 6 p.m. It's because mm. habitually you tend to eat more then and you'll more easily create a a deficit if you don't eat after six right that gives yeah. you the freedom to then say i know why that works for me it's more human behavior than it is physiology if someone invites me out for dinner at 7 p.m i'm not going to freak out that's the fundamental yeah. difference i just i think that's just a, a consequential part of unfortunately i, I rather naively thought probably <clears throat> 10 to 7 Oh, that yeah, seven to ten years ago, like it, it's nice when you get a blank slate, but no one is a blank slate because everyone's been subjected to the worst kind of information. So, largely, our job is, and I think all of us, kind of unpicking all of the nonsense people have been exposed to. So we we don't get we don't get the opportunity to get them at a blank slate and teach them the right way. It's often trying to undo what they've learned before and then piecing things together. I yeah and I think the point I was making was isn't it funny how you can actually get the wrong idea but it can still and still get it right positively to you getting it right um have you read Ben Carpenter's new book yet no, no yeah. I haven't it looks good when's it out on audible though he's worked he's worked on it for like three years so yeah. knowing Ben it's, it's gonna be good yeah, I have it's, no I don't doubt. Think What's, it doing doing What's it called again for the listeners? What's it called for the listeners? What's that? What's it called for the listeners? I didn't hear what you said. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> right, I think we should end the podcast. I said, what's Ben's book called? So the listeners can go oh, and buy it's it. Called, 
It's called Everything Fat Loss by right, Ben Carpenter. Great. And it is really good. I have no doubt he is a very impressive man. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Oh, why?